and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And I'm Trisha, and I'm feeling rather deliquescent today. Deliquescent. It means becoming liquid or having a tendency to become liquid. It's been so hot lately, it's like I'm melting. It has been really hot. It's Yeah. Plus, if you're just getting home from being, like, out with people for, like, a whole week. Mm Mm-hmm. I've got, I mean, I'm not sunburned, but I'm, yeah, I'm just a little bit roasty toasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, hopefully you don't melt. I'm, yeah, I'm staying indoors. It's probably and for the best. Have you noticed it's been, I don't know, I think it's fire clouds coming. There's some smoke coming up from a fire to the south of us. Mm. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe we could, like, get mm-hmm. through this summer without fires, but. Nope. Was it two years ago? I think that the worst fire was, like, on Labor Day. Mm-hmm. It was so yeah. bad Yeah, here. I think we're here in Lane County. We're up to like high risk. Yeah. We're not at extreme risk yet. Right. So that's something. That's something. Mm-hmm. So. Um, forest sure. fires, by the forest way. Forest fires, is what we're talking yeah. about. It's, you know, this, most of our summers lately, past few years have just been inundated with smoke and it sucks. Yeah. And mostly in like August and September. Mm-hmm. This summer so far has been pretty good. I actually got to go camping, and it was legal to have a fire, which was nice. Yeah, it hasn't been for a while. <laughs> right. All right. Well, hey, welcome to Addicted to Murder, and it's my question for yes, Courtney. Yes, it is. Let's hear it. Okay. This one might might take a minute to think about it, but what is your best summer memory from when you were a child? Ooh, that is a good question. I think it would be kind of tough. Mm-hmm. I think the best summer memory that really comes to mind is there was a summer. I was pretty young. I think I was like five or six. Mm-hmm. And um, we had some family friends that had moved to Montana. And so my grandparents were taking a trip like over to like Mount Rushmore or whatever and so they took my sister and I and a couple of our other cousins with um, and we're going to drop us off in Montana but I remember um, on that trip we we went through like Yellowstone National Park Mm -hmm. and drove through there and I remember just like looking out the windows and seeing all of the different animals and like just the the beauty of it all like Mm -hmm. if you haven't driven like through like Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. It's really beautiful out there. Um, Big sky country. Big sky country, yeah. And then I remember getting to like our friend's house and it just like being the best time and us playing in the sprinklers and swimming and just having a grand old time. I've driven through Montana when I used to um, do audits for a job a while ago. I'd start in, uh, gosh, I don't even remember, Missoula and end up in Billings. Mm Mm-hmm. But so I would always see the park entrances, but I never went. So I've never been to Yellowstone. It's the only time I've been. And like I said, I was like five or six, so I don't have a ton of memory. Mm-hmm. But I've always wanted to go. Although with all of those horror stories of people going off trail, I will not go off trail. Well, you shouldn't anyway. So don't do that. <laughs> right. And then like the grizzly bears and everyone getting mauled. Like, no, it's okay. Right. I mean, it's mostly the buffalo or bison you oh. have to worry about. Well, either way, it doesn't sound like a fun death. Probably not. <laughs> but it's a beautiful place. So. Yeah. I Yeah, I would love to go see it someday. 
be an awesome road trip. What about you? Well, I used to go camping with my girlfriend, Alana, um, every summer with her parents. And one year, um, we went to Lake Billy Chinook out Bend area. And it was, so Bend is our, like kind of high desert around here. Um, it was so fun. And I think we were probably fifth or sixth grade. And I just remember one night we had free reign with the marshmallows and we ate so many and then we started making up cuss words. And you remember, <laughs> like, middle school kids love cussing. They sure do. And Alana, if I know you listen to this, holy fuck a moly. Am I right? Yeah. Nice. I like it. It was fun. And, yeah, it was, it was a fun lake. I want to go back. They have houseboats. Um, and I want to rent one someday. Oh, yeah. That would be super fun. Yeah. So, yeah, anyways, that's probably my favorite. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then today, right, Trish, uh-huh. we've got a brand new killer to talk about. Right. And um, his name is Eric Napolitano, a.k.a. we're going to call him Mama's Boy because that's the name of the book that um, I used to uh, to research this killer. There's not a lot on him online. Courtney, you said you struggled to find much on him. Yeah, just kind of your basic, like brief wiki post yeah not much else I don't even know if he had a wikipedia page he did but it, there wasn't a lot on it okay um so this killer um we were just talking about whether he technically falls into a serial killer category or not uh you guys can kind of decide for yourself we're, we're kind of on the fence about it um but anyways we will uh we'll, we'll take off with Eric Napolitano all right Napolitano. let's do it it's hard for me to say it So today we're going to present to you a serial killer you've probably never heard of. I just said that, but I'm reading my notes. Um, He's an interesting case because unlike other killers we've looked at, he kills only people he knows. His number of kills is small, but the who and the how of who he's killed is, is pretty scary. His mother was also involved. She helped her son cover up his crimes, and she would do anything for him. Theirs was not a typical mother-son relationship, and uh, I hope to show this, or we hope to show this. We are dubbing this Killer Mama's Boy. Like I said, after the book, um, I don't know that he actually has a real moniker. So, (laughs) On May 2nd, 1965, Eric Ernesto Napolitano Jr. was born in the Bronx, New York, to Carolyn Hankinson slash Napolitano, uh, Napolitano, sorry. Uh, Eric never met his father. Apparently his parents were to wed, but at the final hour, Eric Sr. backed out, never to be heard from again. Eric's mom would tell him that his father died in a car crash, however, which wasn't the case. Um, Carolyn decided to call her son Ricky, which Eric hated after he was born. Carolyn changed her last name to Napolitano, even though her husband or fiance abandoned them both carolyn never got over the rejection of eric senior apparently when she was pregnant he demanded a paternity test and she refused so he was he split and she was also convinced that the napolitano family was in the mafia and she was obsessed with the mafia so when researching this claim i did come across a dominic napolitano but it's a slightly different spelling different vowels and he was a member of the bonanno crime family in new york he went by sunny black um i don't know if this is where carolyn got the idea because the name sounded the same i'm not sure if she realized they were spelt differently but uh, there was never any evidence that her ex um eric senior was part of the mafia but carolyn and eric jr would grow to become infatuated with the mob so in fact carolyn was 
like extremely obsessed with John Gotti, who was at the time the New York kingpin. And she would be able to sit in on his court cases when she was able. She could do this because she was employed by the NYPD. So, which is weird. And she also knew where Gotti hung out and would go to his neighborhood block parties. That's a little stalkery. Yeah, I, they they kind of are <laughs> about that. I didn't know that um, mafia mobsters had neighborhood block parties. This is all new to me. Oh, yeah, because they had to be, like, respected by their neighbors and things. Yeah. And part of that was, like, doing nice things for their neighbors so their neighbors wouldn't turn them in. Okay, makes sense. I learned that at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. Oh, the one I didn't go to because I'm not good with museums. Yep. Yeah. So now Carolyn has a kind of twisted sense of reality, as we can kind of see. To hear her tell it, Eric was a superb student who got straight A's and was the head of his class, when in fact he was not. He barely skated by in school, but because of how the New York school system was, he wasn't held back. He wasn't unintelligent. He was just an underachiever, and he had pretty bad behavioral problems. Eric was actually a bit of a miscreant at a young age. Um, He was accused of tampering with neighbor's locks and being generally out of control. Karen and Eric, sorry, Carolyn and Eric fought constantly. These fights would be overheard by neighbors and they were apparently very turbulent. Carolyn would throw herself, you know, a pity party because Eric Sr. had abandoned, abandoned them. She would lash out at anyone who challenged her and threatened to sue people all the time if they didn't do what she wanted. She even, like, threatened to sue the neighbors over them accusing her son of messing with their locks. And Eric would pick up this habit from his mom. He disliked being told what to do and felt that the rules didn't apply to him. It sounds as though, like, their fights would turn physical, with Eric usually being the victor. Carolyn's arm was broken more than once um, around the time that these fights were noted to have happened. She said they were accidents, but the picture being painted looks more like little Eric had a hand in these injuries. So Courtney, what are you thinking is happening here? We have a mother and son duo who seem to be feeding off each other's sad circumstances and living by their own rules. Domestic abuse may be occurring on both sides of this duo. How common is it for a young child, I'm talking 10 years of age at the most, um, beating his own mother? Do you have anything to say about Carolyn's behavior as well as Eric's? At this point, if Eric is beating his mother, what type of treatment is appropriate? Again, we're doing a lot of speculation on this one because there is not a ton of stuff to go off of. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'm going to try to answer all the different parts of that question. So clearly there's a very unhealthy dynamic already starting between Eric and his mother. Um, And, you know, at the most basic level, you know, it's the primary job of a parent to keep your children safe, and to help shape them into a functional person. Um, And very clearly, Carolyn was failing at both of these things. You know, when children are young, they learn how to get their needs met, how to express their emotions, and how to interact with others, you know, generally by watching their parents first. So if Carolyn was modeling behavior like being demanding, throwing tantrums, using physical violence, then it would be likely that Eric learned to behave this way from her. Um, And, you know, that being said, typically, whether it's through, you know, seeing other role models like at school or on TV or friends, parents, etc., or getting redirection, you know, by your parents, most kids learn an alternative behaviors by the time they kind of start to reach school age. 
which is why you don't have an entire class of like seven-year-olds like beating up the teacher and Mm -hmm. all of that all the time. Um, And it is a big leap, I have to say, from say like a three-year-old hitting mom when they're mad and a child being violent enough to break bones. Um, That's a pretty drastic level of violence. Mm -hmm. And so I have worked with kids that are aggressive like this. um, And really it takes a a whole team and wraparound support, um, including things like individual therapy with the kid, family therapy, um, skills training for, you know, mom and kid, and often like medication and, you know, the involvement of a psychiatrist in order to make a difference. With the kids that you've worked with in the past that were this aggressive towards their parents, was there a, a cause that you could point out? Like, or, or something that they all had in common that you could be like, this is why the kid's that way? Or is it not something that simple? It's, it's not that simple. Um, I would say the, the majority of kids that have this kind of outburst, I would say, are, have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, but I'd say trauma is a common denominator. Okay. When he was in third grade, Eric was enrolled into St. Joseph's Grammar School in Manhattan, where they now resided. So they moved from the Bronx to Manhattan. But it was a strict Catholic environment, and he proved too rebellious for the religious curriculum. His behavior at the time was too much for Carolyn for Carolyn to handle, so she put him into Bellevue Hospital in 1974 when he was eight years old. He stayed in that institution for three months. For his fifth, fourth and fifth grade years, Eric lived at Green Chimneys, a residential treatment center in Brewster, New York. He was discharged in June or on June 6, 1976, but hospitalized again for two months while in sixth grade. So Eric claimed he was sent to these places so his mom could do whatever she wanted without a kid around. Courtney, now I know you've worked in a residential treatment uh, program with kids. Can you tell us a little bit how that works? And is two years an average time to be in a treatment facility such as this? Also, I know it's mostly speculation at this point, as there's not much we can find on young, young Eric. But what do you think mentally is going on with him? I'm unsure how it was back then, but psychiatric beds are so scarce nowadays that if Eric didn't need to be there, he wouldn't. Yeah, so I have worked um, in residential treatment before, and I actually looked up Green Chimneys, which is still in operation, Um, and it actually seems like a pretty solid place to go. Um, But while each program is different, you know, generally speaking, a child may be admitted to residential treatment if they are struggling with some kind of severe mental illness um, that includes posing some sort of danger to themselves, like through like suicidal actions um, or danger to others through like aggression and violence Um, but they need longer term treatment than like a hospitalized stabilization Mm -hmm. Um, so in a residential treatment program children live on site Um, they have a room that's kind of similar to a college dorm room Um, all their basic needs are provided on site including education recreation activities and therapy they are supervised 24 7 by trained therapeutic staff who can help with things like behavior management, emotional regulation, and teaching social skills. And then they'll also likely receive therapy, like individual and family therapy, a few times a week, meet regularly with a psychiatrist, have case management services, um, and may have access, like they do at Green Chimneys actually, to other forms of therapy, like 
equine therapy or nature-based therapies. Um, so these days, um, most Children who are admitted to residential care stay between like two to six months. Um, but staying for like one to two years is not unheard of. It's definitely on the long end, but it's mm. not like... It happens. It happens, yeah. Um, <clears throat> as for, you know, diagnosis, we, we don't have a lot of information, like you said. But my guess um, at this point would be that, you know, Eric is suffering from a combination of like a, some sort of trauma disorder, like PTSD, um, possibly a mood disorder, like maybe bipolar, sometimes in kids that often looks like just really angry and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe a more just behavior-based disorder, like oppositional defiant disorder, for example. So do you, um, you know how Eric said that he was put there just to get it out of his mom's hair? Do you disagree with that? Do you think that he had something going on? Because that's a long time to stay, just to be getting out of someone's hair. Yeah, that would be a long time to stay. It would be really expensive Mm -hmm. for him to stay there, Um, assuming, depending on, like, who was paying, whether it was, like, insurance. They didn't get into that. Yeah, and so um, if we assume that, you know, health insurance was paying for it, um, they require that, like, he continue to, like, meet certain criteria. Right. To stay, okay. like, in a setting. Um, so unless his mom was somehow, like, super wealthy mm-hmm. and paid private out of pocket, mm-hmm. like, we're talking, like, hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. dollars for two years. Um, yeah, they don't just take someone because, like, mom is tired yeah. of them. So I think it's safe to assume that he needed to be in these places. Yes. He spent a lot mm-hmm. of time in between mm-hmm. the, the hospital stays and the residential treatment. Mm-hmm. Right. I wish that we could look at his charts. Oh, that would be fascinating. <laughs> but of course, you know, count. Um, so now the book we've been referencing claims that Eric and his mother were best friends and extremely close. People have gone so far as to say weirdly close, as if an abnormal relationship was occurring. It's also speculated that Eric was used like a husband with Carolyn. Their relationship may have been extremely inappropriate. Here's a passage from the book we are referencing. Carolyn Margaret Napolitano wanted to be the only woman who ever really mattered to Eric. She was the measuring stick for every other female he fell in love with. Their relationship was subject to wild swings. One moment their synergy was violent, the next it radiated warmth and tenderness. So, Courtney, let's suppose that Carolyn had a sexual relationship with Eric, or at the very least treated him as a husband in emotional ways. Again, this is speculation. But when something like this occurs, can you tell us how that can affect a person in the present and in the future? Also, why would a mother do this to their son? So anytime a parent places their child in a like spouse or partner role, it forces expectations that the child just does not have the social and emotional development to handle. You know, children aren't supposed to be a confidant or provide emotional support to a parent or share household duties, for example, at the same level, because they don't have the ability to even regulate themselves yet um, and are supposed to be more dependent on their parent for that kind of support. Um, And this is without any type of sexual relationship. So if we act on the assumption that there may have been a sexual abuse happening as well. It just adds another layer of confusion as, you know, there's this this physical intimacy 
which triggers biological effects like the production of oxytocin, um, which in healthy adult relationships creates a a tighter emotional bond. People think of like oxytocin as like the love hormone, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But in an abusive parent-child situation, there would be, I think, a lot of cognitive dissonance um, and really unhealthy attachment. Explain cognitive dissonance, please. So cognitive dissonance is... Dissonance. um, (laughs) Dissonance, yeah. Um, It takes place when, like, you are feeling or believing one thing, but then, like, also feeling and believing something else. So in kind of this example, like, um, Eric might feel that he is in love with his mother and might get know sexual gratification Mm -hmm. from their interactions while also like knowing that morally it's wrong Mm -hmm. and it's not supposed to be that way and like internal conflict exactly yeah well you know it would explain his stays if something like this was going on and his you know behavior I would think at least some of it. I mean, you said it could, it could be reasons why he has um, possibly what's going on with him could Mm -hmm. be because of trauma. I mean, that's trauma right there. It is absolutely trauma. So Mm -hmm. again, though, he does not say this happens and she says it doesn't happen, but others Mm -hmm. sort of insinuate that it happens. So, right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the physical abuse enough from their, you know, fights Mm -hmm. is trauma. Yeah. So the summer between 7th and 8th grade, young Eric met Albert Giovine, who was a middle-aged import manager. Uncle Al is what everyone called him. Um, He had a checkered history with young males. In fact, his roommate of 22 years of age just recently died under mysterious circumstances. So little Eric was introduced to Al by a peer who spent many days and nights with Al. Um, Al would buy things for his young friends. Al was active in the Catholic Church and in Big Brothers. He volunteered to work specifically with boys without fathers. Carolyn had this to say, quote, Eric started staying over at his house, staying a little longer and a little longer and a little longer. This was like a buddy to him. I thought it was okay. Here was someone for Eric, end quote. Eventually, Eric basically moved in with Al. He lived there a lot more than he did with his mother. Carolyn gets very defensive when accused of giving her preteen son away to a middle-aged man with a questionable past with young boys, but in essence, that's what occurred. Eric was with Al so much that Al attempted to enroll Eric in a school near him. Um, This wasn't able to occur, though, because technically he was living, he was not his legal guardian. So Al lived in Queens, so Eric would have to travel back and forth between his school in Manhattan, Robert F. Wagner Junior High, and then Julia Richmond High School, and Uncle Al's apartment. Eventually, it did come out that Al was homosexual, and he indeed had a relationship with Eric. Of course, he said it was when Eric was of age, but I'm not buying it. Um, Courtney, this relationship makes me feel very uncomfortable. If Eric came to you as a student seeking therapy and this was his home situation, would any red flags be raised? And what do you think is going on? Again, speculation. I mean, everything about Eric's home life so far is a red flag. You know, and for real, though, I I don't want to be a person who automatically assumes that grown men who volunteer with young boys are pedophiles and I am positive that there are plenty of mentors and big brothers that are wonderful people who do no harm. Um, Al, however, is really sketchy. You know, 
spending a lot of time with youth outside of volunteering hours, particularly without a parent or other adult present, is a red flag. Buying a lot of gifts and acting more like a friend is a red flag. Inviting and letting young boys stay and live at your house in sort of an unstructured way is a red flag. Trying to enroll them in school when you're not any sort of legal guardian is a red flag. You know, this is all very classic grooming behaviors of sexual predators. So in high school, Eric decided he wanted to be a cop. Don't they all, Courtney? (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, while in school, he was accepted as a member of the NYPD's Volunteer Auxiliary Police Force. Eric felt, like, powerful when he would go out on patrol with his nightstick. He basically had a uniform, everything but a gun. Um, He would patrol even when off-duty. Carolyn claims that she would do anything for her son, so she too signed up for the auxiliary force. Mother and son were now working together out of the Central Park precinct. Uncle Al bought Eric a police scanner, of course. Um, Eric eventually would pass his written tests and physical tests and was placed on the eligible list from when a position with NYPD opened up, but budget constraints would keep him on that list indefinitely. Carolyn eventually became a paid full-time worker, first as a civilian police administrative aide, and then she was transferred to the communications division where she had access to police files and their computer system. Carolyn would make friends with many cops. Some even courted her. If they called her at home, she rec- she would record their conversations just in case she needed them in the future. She would also be privy to their personal lives, um, who had extramarital affairs, who was dirty, etc. This was all very useful information for her to have down the line. Eric, meanwhile, was failing his high school classes, but writing very disturbing stories in his creative writing class. He wrote about violence between man and wife, and even entitled one story, The Rope, in which a husband puts a noose around his wife's neck for messing up his coffee order. He did graduate in June of 83, despite his failing grades. After graduation, he decided to join the Marines. He figured it would be helpful in becoming a police officer. It was at this time that he discovered that his father did not actually die in a car crash, as his mother had told him previously, but that he had left them. And in doing so, Eric was actually a bastard. This upset him greatly. He even went and had his name legally changed from Eric Ernest Napolitano Jr. to just Eric Napolitano. A month after finding out his mother lied to him, her arm mysteriously was broken. Courtney, a Ted Bundy vibe again... (laughs) Anything you want to add at this point? Thoughts, observations. With Ted, his being a bastard really rattled him and became an obsession almost with how he thought he was perceived negatively. Do you think the same is happening with Eric? Um, You know, I actually think that being angry about this lie is pretty understandable. And wanting to change his name to give some separation between him and this man who abandoned him is a reasonable step. You know, one difference between Eric's and Ted's experiences is that um, the person and the name that Eric knew, it was the same person. Um, And it was just the circumstances of his not being in his life that was changed. Um, And also Ted had a stepdad and siblings um, to compare himself to, where Eric just never really had a father figure at all or siblings Mm -hmm. to be jealous of for having a a dad. Um, So it seems like, yeah, he was angry, but not obsessed the way Ted was. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, like, Ted thought his grandpa was his dad, right? Yeah, he thought his grandparents were his parents. Yeah, there was a lot going on for Ted. 
So Eric left for basic training in the winter of 1983 to Paris Island, South Carolina. He was appointed group leader. Carolyn could not let her son go. Even though she encouraged him to join as soon as he was gone, she missed him terribly, and she let him know about it. She would write him manipulative, manipulative letters and play him back and forth. Some letters would be encouraging, while others would be full of self-pity and how he left her alone, and what was she to do with herself? How could he leave her? Blah, blah, blah. While he was gone, Carolyn and Al got very close. All they really had in common was Eric, and they both spoke about how much they loved him. For some reason, Eric got very paranoid while he was at boot camp. He was convinced someone was reading his mail. Um, he started to respond to his mother that he was too homesick, and his letters started to get darker and darker. When he realized he was not going to graduate at the top of his class, he was very upset, but he had such a hard time being yelled at and being bossed around that he really just didn't stand a chance. His innate disregard for authority doomed him from going far in this type of environment his mom encouraged him to stay <laughs> sometimes she was determined for eric to become a police officer and he needed to do this in order to get that position eric however now missed his mother and al so much that he could not take any more separation his way out of boot camp was to claim a scrotal injury or in his words my nuts he told his commanding officers that he had surgery on his left testicle prior to coming to boot camp, and it was paining him greatly. His plan worked as he was discharged two weeks later. Every entry-level separation was what it was called. His mother, for all her bitching and moaning that he had left her alone, was now making it known how pissed and ashamed of Eric she was. She insinuated that he couldn't handle it, wasn't man enough to see it through, Eric, once home, was determined to find other ways of proving to his mother and every other female that he was a man and not to be messed with. Courtney, this is obviously, you know, not a healthy relationship between mother and son. I mean, we've kind of gone over this, but I'm just kind of hammering it home. It just keeps getting weirder and weirder. She plays him like a fiddle. Is there a term for this type of parental manipulation? Also, Eric must have much more of a codependent relationship with his mother if he came home this quickly because he missed her and all of her fucked up bullshit. To sum it up at this point, uh, I know it's tough to do, but what diagnosis would you give mom and son based on what we know? So let's talk about what codependency means. Um, so codependency is defined as having excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. So essentially, a codependent person is seeking the love and acceptance they need from a person who can't really give it. Um, and they try to do it by doing and loving that person more and more. Um, so a common example of this would be, you know, the parent who continues to give money and support um, to a child that has an addiction and has repeatedly stolen from them. Um, you know, in the case of Eric and his mother, there's a really interesting dynamic in that they are sort of constantly switching roles within the codependent relationship. You know, based on the information that we have, I would suggest that Carolyn, his mom, um, might have narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and is highly critical of Eric because of how she thinks his actions reflect on her. Mm. You know, Eric, as a child and teen, was the more codependent party, you know, trying to keep his mom happy and win her love. 
Um, and then as Eric gets older, his own mental health and personality problems become more prominent. I think we are likely looking at some antisocial personality disorder coming about um, with that possible kind of mood disorder and trauma disorder alongside of it. So we'll get kind of more into this in the next um, episode, but in the future, Carolyn becomes the one going above and beyond mm-hmm. to seemingly keep the love of her son. Yeah, this is... I don't really know how to... I, their relationship's just chaos. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really even know how to ascertain what's going on with them. I mean, it, it seems clear. It's inappropriate. Um, there might be some parentifying going on. Mm-hmm. Or does that only happen when you have other siblings? Because we were talking about Israel mm-hmm. Keys was parentified. Yeah, so that's more when you're taking on like a parent role for for kids, for not siblings. not yeah. a spousal role as a child. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you throw in Uncle Al in there. Right. And, I mean, and then Al and Carolyn are. It's just so weird. I I don't I don't know about it. It's just icky. It is very icky. And there is so much enmeshment between all right. of them. They're so involved in each other's lives. And and I think there's, yeah. Um, now Eric does terrible things. He goes on to do terrible things. But this is one when I'm reading the book. I I'm like 25 pages into it. I'm like, oh, this kid doesn't stand a chance. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we look at the things that just leading up to this point where he's sort of just leaving high school and mm-hmm. he's had clearly emotional abuse, abandonment of a parental figure, physical abuse, sexual abuse, very Most likely. likely from Uncle mm-hmm. Al and Mom. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there is trauma related to being separated from your parent going into like a hospital or residential care. Yeah, I was there for two years. Right. Um, and of course, there's like visitation and things like mm-hmm. that. But I mean, that in itself causes some attachment issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I thought this was going to be a one parter. But after just going through his childhood, I was like, nope, two parts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot going on there. No, so we haven't really gotten into the. We haven't gotten to the murders yet. No, not yeah. even close. Yeah. So. So, um, it will just be two parts. So next one will be, will be, uh, it for that. So I'm going to stop there and then Courtney, it's your turn to social mediate. Yeah. So as always, if you like what you hear or are interested or have thoughts or questions or comments, um, please like review message, subscribe, all of those things, um, on our social media. So we can be found, um, at Addicted to M Podcast on Instagram, at Addicted to Murder Podcast on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter, or you can email us at Addicted to Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Courtney. We'll um, see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.